1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full turns at mintmobile.com.
2: This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And we welcome you along to Wednesday's edition of the programme on the 9th of September, on the day where the world remembers uh, 9-11. So let's start by uh, remembering this day. Isn't it hard to believe that it is now 18 Years ago, I mean, at this time, 18 years ago, we were just going about our business, everything was as normal, and it was around lunchtime that the news started to trickle in. Because I know I just about wrapped up, just about wrapping up this program, when we were getting word in from the states, from New York that there had been some kind of a plane accident and that a plane had hit the Twin Towers and of course initially in the opening few minutes people just thought it was an accident, something had gone wrong, the pilot had got it wrong and uh, some, but then of course when the second plane crashed we started to realise this was uh, a day that would go down in history and a day that the world would never forget and I've had an email in, thank you to Dermot Ryan for this to remind me that the annual commemoration of 9-11 will be held at the Garden of Remembrance in Kinsei this evening at uh, quarter past six and everybody is very welcome to go uh, along. And the Kinsale Garden of Remembrance has a lovely story in that it was established by a Kinsale lady by the name of Kathleen Court Murphy who had worked as a nurse for over 30 years in New York City. So 18 years ago when she was watching what was unfolding, she was watching a city that had been her home For so many years. So that must have been extra sad for Kathleen this day. And she had greatly admired the work of the firemen, obviously, when she worked as a nurse, and then when she was watching all the scenes that we watched on the TV. And then she was so shocked afterwards to realize that 343 firefighters had lost uh, their lives on this day. 18 years ago. So, because of that, she wanted to provide some kind of a memorial on her own land at Ring Finnan in Kinsale. So, she did. And what she did was she planted a tree for each of the firemen who died on this day, all 343 of them. And she also planted it a tree for their chaplain of course who had the Irish connection Father Michael uh, Judge and it seems many relatives and friends of the dead over the years have come to lay flowers and photographs um, and to pray there isn't that it's a lovely lovely uh, legacy unfortunately Kathleen is no longer with us it was just coming up to the 10th anniversary of the Twin Towers disaster in September of 2011 and Kathleen sadly passed away uh, March before but the good people of of Kinsale and families and uh, friends have, have kept up they can say out. Garden of Remembrance and they've actually honoured uh, Kathleen I believe with a tree planting ceremony to to recall the life of a lady who helped to preserve the stories of the heroic New York firemen and to do it in beautiful Kinsale so that's, that's lovely that they are continuing the legacy left behind by Kathleen so if you're around Kinsale feel free to pop along to the Kinsale Garden of Remembrance tonight and that is at 6.15 uh, and I had a lovely email in from a couple Who want me to say thank you to a couple who showed some kindness? They describe it as an amazing kindness of a lovely couple. Now it is Kevin and Dee. I'm assuming that they're from Cavan. They've emailed the show to say they were lost in Cork, trying to find the N71 to Clonakilty, and they asked a couple if they. For directions please and they said the couple did so much more than that they drove in front of us the whole way to get us onto the road that we needed what a gesture of human kindness writes Kevin and D. they were dra- driving a 08 Nissan Note and we were driving in a cavern registered car we don't have any names but we hope perhaps that they might be listening to the show so if you are the couple who helped out a cavern couple now i don't have any details of when it happened except that we got that email in yesterday so i'm assuming it perhaps happened just at the weekend somebody getting lost trying to find the uh, n71 and that couple you know they could simply have given directions but no come on we'll jump follow us and we'll, we'll get you on the road that you need to go to and we hope that kevin and had a lovely time in Clonacilty as well. So well done to that couple driving a Nissan Note. If you're listening to us, let us know. I'd love to find out who exactly you are. That would be terrific. And we love a bit of gossip here at uh, C103. And the rumour, well not gossip, more rumour. <laughs> the rumour machine has gone into overdrive because we came into work this morning and we have received an invite to a press briefing or a press conference that's going to be held in Porky Cueve next Monday morning. And the only information we have is that full details of a major concert taking place in Cork for next year, for 2020, will be revealed on Monday morning at this media press briefing which is at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's, it's nice and early. Now we've been teased a little bit because they tell us in the Info that they've sent in to us that Ed Sheeran played Three Nights in Porky Cueve. They were amazing concerts uh, last year. Rod Stewart. Wow, that was a terrific concert as well last May. So we know that Porky Cueve can do the very, very big gigs. So who do you think it might be? They do also say that the artist will be in uh, attendance. Now, we did put it up on our C103 uh, Twitter feed and we're already getting some suggestions in. Lots and lots and lots of people are saying it's got to be Westlife. Now, I've been thrown by that by saying, but they just say in the press conference briefing to us, the artist will be in attendance. But as been pointed out by somebody here, the artist could be one member of Westlife was going to turn up which of course it could be so it could be Westlife others are saying could it be Garth Brooks could Garth Brooks be coming attempting to come back to Ireland after what happened the last time we certainly would welcome Garth Brooks here in uh, Porky All other suggestions coming in you too Bruce Springsteen and somebody else is saying Paul McCartney could it be Paul, Paul McCartney as in picking up on the fact that it's just an artist could could it be him Uh, Fleetwood Mac is another suggestion coming in because Fleetwood Mac are rumoured to be headlining Glastonbury and I think that's more than a rumour I think they are confirmed to be the headline act in Glastonbury next year so could they tie in with do a gig maybe in Cork first and then pop over to Glastonbury or do it in reverse to the Glastonbury gig and while on the high of Glastonbury go over to Porky Creve absolutely anyway we've got to wait and see who is it going to be but money certainly around here in the radio the the money is on Westlife because Westlife are to play three Irish concerts in three Irish cities next year so they're saying surely that's what it is it's going to be Westlife playing Porky Creve and they would have a lot of Fans, uh, certainly in Cork I think they would fill Porky Cueve no problem at all but your suggestions please as to who you think it might be or who would you like like it to be it's probably a better one 1850 103 who would you like to have on your doorstep here in Porky Cueve you don't have to worry about overnight or anything like that you can just get up to the gig and come home and sleep in your own bed and there's nothing like at home concerts now we've got a wonderful competition running all this week in association with the McCroom Food uh, Festival we are Monday to Thursday been giving away fallen Gift Packs which contain new limited edition jams, marmalades and relishes, building up to a big prize on Friday when we're giving away an overnight stay for two in the Castle Hotel in McCroom. You're not just getting the overnight stay, we're also giving you dinner on the night and you're also going to get taste trial tickets that you'll be able to use during the McCroom Food Festival. We're playing an audio clip of a chef doing a cooking segment and there is a word bleed out, so we're missing one ingredient and you have to try to work out what the missing ingredient is. We'll played for you now. But we don't want you to enter yet. You. We won't be giving the prize away until after 12 o'clock today. But just take a listen to today's chef and what is the bleeped out ingredient.
1: The great thing about an Irish stew is that it doesn't take too many ingredients. You've got onion, <laughs> celery and potatoes.
2: OK, that's tricky enough. <laughs>
1: I think this let me play that again the great thing about an Irish stew is that it doesn't take too many ingredients you've got onion <coughs> celery and potatoes
2: ok think about that we will play it again we'll give you another chance uh, to listen to the wonderful Dolan, uh, Donald skein and see if you can work out what is the missing ingredient for your chance to win a full on Gift pack with limited edition jams, marmalades, and uh, relishes. And you can check out and get more details about the McCroom Food Festival. They really do have a really good website, macroomfoodfestival.com. Now, coming up on the programme this morning, we are in a couple of minutes going to be speaking with the Beef Plan Movement. The Beef Plan Movement have now moved their protest. The Beef Plan Movement started by protesting outside the meat processing plants, they are now protesting outside supermarkets and distribution uh, centres. so we're going to be finding out what is happening locally with protests outside at the distribution uh, centres, and of course the knock-on effect now from the beef dispute that's going on is the fact, and we we mentioned this yesterday because we had some listeners contact us. Three thousand factory workers have been temporarily laid off due to the continuing blockades of the meat plant by the farmer by the farmers. Uh, so their jobs now. We've got three thousand. Families who will be struggling to pay their bills. And I know the beef plan movement themselves are saying that that particular number, those job losses will be dwarfed when the impact of the dispute trickles down to other services because the knock on effect is, you know, farmers don't have money, farmers will have no money to spend. The knock-on would be local shops, the local vet, the local co-op. So many more people are going to be affected. Those three thousand factory workers that have lost their jobs—they don't have money to spend in their local uh, shops, so there will be knock-on effect there uh, as well. The meat uh, industry, Ireland. They acknowledge that ancillary businesses, including haulage firms, are going to be heavily impacted by the dispute because about 90% of Irish beef is exported and the state's processing sector is now operating at about 20%. Uh, capacity. There have been talks to try to resolve the crisis. They didn't go ahead on Monday when the Meat Industry Ireland group, they suspended its involvement. They said what they call illegal blockades are going on. They're not going into talks until those blockades have been removed. The Minister for Agriculture Michael Creed trying to do his best. He says there were obvious consequences for retail supplies of beef within the industry because the vast majority of processed beef is exported and I suppose he's afraid of our export market. Michael Creed has gone on to criticise processors for refusing to meet the protesting beef farmers since the dispute broke out. He said we cannot have a situation where their refusal to engage effectively closes down the entire industry and that's what it looks like. That's where we're at at the moment. So we're also going to hear from um, a local TD who's slamming the processors for laying off the 3,000 workers and of course the big worry is that these workers 3,000 of them are being used as pawns they really are the collateral damage and it is really really unfair your thoughts welcomed on that We're also going to hear about school secretaries and why school secretaries are threatening to take industrial action at the end of the month now I'm open to correction but I don't think I've ever remember And certainly, I don't think I've ever spoken about on the radio, school secretaries going out on strike. I would have heard from school secretaries that were having problems, certainly in the summer months, trying to get their social welfare payments. There was often a delay with their payments. Sometimes they were back in school before they received the payment and they were without money for the the two or three months that the school was closed. Um, And it seems a crazy situation that somebody would have a job and then when the holiday time comes and the school closes the teachers get paid, why don't the school secretaries get paid? Anyway, we'll speak with their the union representing them on the programme today. Also a shout out to parents, you need to really start protecting your children and find out what your children are doing online. There is a survey out showing a half of eight-year-olds eight-year-olds have admitted to talking to a stranger online. We're going to look at that uh, today. And also we'll speak with the young Dunmore man at the weekend And he is celebrating one year cancer free. And he's doing it by, he's marking the occasion by holding a fundraiser for the Irish Cancer Society. He's an incredible young man. And then we'll speak with a really inspirational man after half past 12 uh, today, who is attempting to set a world record. He is attempting to run nine, I have to say this slowly, nine 100 mile Marathons. I mean, they're way more than a marathon. So nine 100 mile runs. And he is attempted to do it in nine weeks, so he'll do one of these incredible runs once a week, then recover back out in the road again. And he's hoping to do nine of them. The current record is eight one hundred mile runs, so he wants to go one better. That is an incredible uh, achieve, achievement. And uh, we're going to try and follow him uh, during this journey. He's just completed the first run. We'll speak of them after half past twelve today. We don't have Peter Dowdle, by the way, and I can already see uh, some texts coming in for uh, Peter Dowdle, but we don't have Peter today. He will be back with us though next week on the programme This is the Court Today replay on C103 I can already see calls and texts coming in about Paddy Jackson so I'm interested in people's views on Paddy Jackson because the peaceful protest is going to go ahead at Musgrave Park on Friday Now from what I can gather it's still going ahead despite the confirmation that Paddy Jackson is not playing in the match against uh, Munster. Paddy Jackson has not been included in the London Irish squad for the pre-season friendly. Uh, Paddy Jackson of course had his IRFU contract terminated in it was April of last year and that was when he was uh, acquitted of rape after the high profile trial in Northern Ireland. He then spent uh, a season in France but then, of course, he signed with uh, London Irish. And, of course, when following his arrival at London Irish, two of the club's sponsors, including our own drinks giant Diageo, uh, cut their ties with the club. Now, the but the English club have opted against playing him. It's the Jack Wakefield Memorial Trophy fixture with Munster. And that despite the decision to leave Jackson out of the squad, it seems a peaceful protest is still going to take place. At the Cork Stadium, the Cork Protest Group, I'm reading this from the Echo Live, the Cork Protest Group will join forces with another group organised by anti-sexual violence activist uh, Linda Hayden and that is uh, going ahead but he won't be playing. Anyway, I'm interested in people's views, is the protest right to go ahead even though Paddy Jackson isn't going to be playing or is are, is there the other side of the coin that Paddy Jackson was found innocent at that rape trial and therefore because of that there shouldn't be any protests at all? Your thoughts welcomed 1850 333 uh, John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862
3: 103 103. Laura RC
4: 103.
3: Marilyn Monroe. Ashtore August Mankin, Mary Connock about Marilyn Monroe. Rugok gear in Gael la de vehef nedeig August first boss erin gugu la de lunasa nedeig shas cadol. Both she free James Doherty, Joe de Maggio, August Arthur, Seantana McKeir, Eritasta spread nor Norma Jean Mortensen. August earn true la is vehef de fiara nedeig cuigheché. For Norma Jean Cadiffigul O'Kurt Carug start nor Arrow August Irish she is the stuna. With Lee Hulge Marilyn on am a man who is <laughs> a man who is <laughs> a a man who is <laughs> a a man who is a a man who is 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 the latter is the dinner dinner hash stories called Ray of Team floundering. Davis College is Michel Todney
2: The Beef Plan Movement are this week protesting outside several supermarkets and distribution centres in uh, an effort to resolve the ongoing dispute within the beef industry. Helen O'Sullivan, West Cork farmer, a member of the Beef Plan Movement, joins me to discuss a protest that's going to be held, I believe, outside Musgrave's distribution centre on the Trimore Road this afternoon. Good morning to you, Helen. Good morning, Patricia. Um, How are you? I'm very well. I suppose, can you explain to listeners why you've moved your protest to distribution centres and supermarkets and why they're important in this ongoing dispute?
5: I will, Patricia. Um, The reason why we're moving to the retailers or doing the protest as part of um, getting a fair price for cattle, um, the factories have always used the excuse that the retailers are looking for these anti-competitive practices, which is the age limit and the four-movement rule and um, that they they require this spec. Um, So, you know, we want um, to find out today, um, you know, we want them to clarify that position. I mean, Lidl's and Supermax have already come out and they have um, clarified that they don't want, um, you know, that they don't mind taking the 36-month beef as opposed to the 30 month beef, which is great, which will take a lot of pressure off of the farmers and you would think that the factories would heed this and, you know, remove that anti-competitive practice, Patricia. I suppose um you know, I suppose we had the talks last Monday in Kildare. We travelled to back Western in Kildare and we're very very disappointed with that outcome, Patricia. Um as you as you know, the the uh, president of the meat industry of Ireland, Cormac Keeley, he actually walked out of the talks. So um So nothing thing.
2: happened. They didn't they then that was nothing it? Happened. No, yeah. that
5: was it. Um he, he didn't he he more or less ran away from the talks, which was very disappointing and um, Minister Creed didn't turn up either, and the retailers weren't there either. Uh, we were speaking to the chairperson that was there on the day. He was Michael Downing. He's the independent chairperson, and he said that he wasn't sure if they were even officially asked to be there by the minister. Do, uh, I mean, the we, the need, we need
2: retailers around the table as well.
5: Oh, absolutely. Like I mean, like I've said before, they were getting 50% of the cost yeah. of the price of the meat. So, I mean, it wasn't good enough that they weren't there. Again, like I said, the chairman wasn't... Um, Uh, sure were they even officially asked to be there so I think you know I just felt very disappointed for the farmers that are out there on the ticket lines, they're there day and night for the last number of weeks Um, their jobs are at risk uh, their whole livelihood's are at risk, I think it's not good enough, I just also think it's very irresponsible of Cormac Healy who's the president of the meat industry to like I say to run away from the talks and you know you're talking about 80,000 farm families here in rural Ireland Patricia and that are directly affected by his behaviour And also, of course, you have the jobs of the factory workers and their farmers. Yeah, and you know the
2: jobs of the factory workers, and and we are going to be speaking a little bit later on uh, in more detail about this, but 3,000 factory workers have been temporarily laid off. Are they very much being used almost like pawns in the middle of all of this?
5: I think so. I think what's happening here now is the factory is trying to turn it around to make it look like it's all the farmer's fault, when in fact it's not the farmer's fault. All the farmers looking for here, Patricia, is a fair price for their cattle. There is lots of money to be made in the beef. We've heard already that... um, Mr. Goodman had made a profit of £170 just from his factories enterprises alone. So, um, you know, that's why I think it's very important to look after the farmers here in Ireland because without the farmer, these jobs will be gone forever. And again, you'll have that huge knock-on effect down the line. You'll have local businesses will close down, your co-ops, your marts. So in effect, World Ireland will close down. So that's why I think it's very important now that Mr. Healy comes out, it comes back to the talks immediately um, because it'll be... It'll be his fault that um, the whole meat industry closed. They're trying to close down factories. I think they're using this as an optic just to take away from the whole seriousness of it and try to shove the blame back over onto the far- farmer and make it look like it's all the farmer's fault.
2: But he'll when say, he'll not. say, remove the blockades and we'll come back around uh, the table. Would you encourage, I know the Beef Plan movement, I know you're not involved anymore you've no choice uh, with court injunctions, but you're not involved with the protests outside of the factories. Would you encourage the farmers that are protesting to maybe back down and let the talks go ahead?
5: Um, That's right, uh, Patricia. Our our hands are tied because of the whole legal action. That will be a decision for the farmers to make. I can understand completely why they wouldn't come off the picket lines the last time that they did, and in fairness, they did come off uh, in the hope of getting a resolution to this. And in, in fact, when they did come off the picket lines, the factories were then flooded with cattle and they felt that they did not get what they were looking for. So in in, the, in what I'm trying to say, Patricia, is that they felt they got nothing. They, they were willing to stand on to protest and in return they actually got nothing. So so they I'm, have
2: nothing to lose, is what you're saying. saying, saying yeah.
5: Because, I mean, things have hit the bottom, Patricia. These farmers are on their knees. They're crying out for help here. And all the factories can do is turn it around and blame these poor, hard-working farmers like I say, they're on the picket lines day and night. Their farming is put on hold. They don't want to be here. They're not there by choice. All they want is to make do a worry, do it. Do you worry, Helen,
2: up. do you worry about the future national and probably more important international markets? Customers might walk away from Irish beef.
5: You see, Patricia, we have the best beef in the whole world and you know, we the best system, grass-fed system. And that has been marketed with, with the factories here to try and get us a better price. But the problem is, even though when we do find new markets abroad, like when the Chinese came, mm. and we welcome them very much, the farmer is, in, is in, uh, actually getting less than what they were getting this time last year. And even though we've been told there's new markets coming all the time, the farmer, it's its a very unusual scenario, Patricia, the farmer seems to be getting less the whole time. And they have to drum through hoop after hoop. We've bought BS, there's regulations. Uh, as I speak to you at the moment, we have an inspection going on here. There's a guy walking our farm here at the moment checking boundaries, Mm. you know. So the hoops that we have to drum
2: through, uh, Patricia, it's, just, it's unrealistic. I know, I know. And I you can know, see the there's a lot of... The there's certainly, from our listeners, there's a lot of support coming in. Uh, one listener saying, Patricia, this government clearly just want to starve out the beef farmers. Uh, it looks like they just want to plant trees on the land uh, instead. And another WhatsApp says, Hi, Patricia, I think that our Minister for Agriculture is an absolute disgrace. He should have sorted out this strike weeks ago. The strike is affecting everyone, not alone the farmers farming industry. Farming is the backbone of Ireland and Fina Gael would want to wake up and smell the roses before it's too late and sort out this mess. Factories have been codding the farmers for years. It's about time it was dealt with and that's from a very concerned uh, farmer's wife and somebody else is also making that point that this is a huge knock-on effect. This is going to lead to further job losses more than just the 30 factory workers, or the the 3,000 factory workers and a lot of people having sympathy for for the workers who've been laid off as well, tell me what you plan to do today at the Mulgrave distribution that. centre. Just
5: getting better. That's a very true statement. What that last person said. I mean, the farmer has been getting hit after hit after hit for the last twenty odd years, and it's just not good enough. We were getting more for cattle twenty years ago, Patricia, than what we are now, and the cost of production has spiralled. So it's not good enough. I mean, th- there's a lot of people making money off the backs of farmers, and this has to stop now. Change has to come into place now because they cannot take any more, Patricia.
6: Mm. And if
5: the farmer goes out of business, everyone else will go out of business. These factory workers will no longer have a job. Now I know a lot of these workers are coming in from Brazil and uh, East Timor, but you know the the thing is, if the farmers take out the equation, then they will have no job. Period. So I think it's very important now that Fine Gael wake up and Minister Creed comes out and looks after the farmers of Ireland. Because without the farmers, Patricia, like that la- last person said, we'll have nothing. to the farmers held the country together? when the,
2: the building boom burst. Okay, stay there because Hello. I have Ger, who is a North Cork farmer. He is, as we speak, protesting outside Dawn Meats in Charleville okay. and he wants to get in on, on our discussion. Good morning to Jer. Hi. How Hi. Long have you, Ger. Hi. How long have you been pre- protesting at Dawn Meats? Uh, Monday when started again.
7: Um, it is gone round the clock. Started um, at four o'clock. i have done myself at four o'clock this morning and you know, I left for work at 8 o'clock so the boys are there now like more fell in and uh, yeah we're there for the long haul I guess.
2: And what's the mood like on the protest? Um,
7: it's good to be fair about it like um, it's very good between farmers I suppose it's just they kind of see it as this is the last straw like you know it, just, it has to work we have to get something out of this so um, we're not going to sit at home and just keep losing money. It, just, it has to change, so this is it like tonight. This is what we have to do, so this is what we're going to do.
2: And John meets in Charleville, are they one of the factories where they've laid off the workers?
7: No, no. no. Workers went in, um, as I was there this morning, all the workers went in. And they're there working today. And is there work for them? Yes. Yeah. So they must be there otherwise, so uh, yeah. they all went in. So... Uh, uh, obviously i work inside I don't be there otherwise Do you
2: feel for the workers though I mean they're obviously living under the threat that their jobs could go or do you think you're all part of the same chain you all have to work together
7: uh, I feel from no, no um, I definitely feel from because
6: you know everyone
7: just wants to do a day's work and make their wage um, but I suppose the fact of this laying off uh, yesterday or temporarily like Meat Industry Ireland and the processors didn't go into the talks on the Monday and then they came on Tuesday and gave temporary layoffs to three thousand workers because of the protest. Now, if they've gone to the walk to the talks on Monday, it could possibly have been factored by now. So I think like it's very best on today not go to the talks and then come on and lay off workers like tonight.
2: Yeah, a lot of people are agreeing and are and are blaming, saying the optics yeah, really uh, doesn't sorry, look good. Sorry, for
5: the sorry Patricia, I yeah. absolutely agree with you. there. I mean we're on about we're concerned about the factory workers the whole time, but what about sure? and all these people that are on the picket lines. What about the 80,000 farmers of Ireland and their families? What about their jobs, Patricia? This is what I'm very concerned about as well, Do you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we turned up... I mean, I travelled from West Cork at quarter past five last mm-hmm. Monday morning to be up in Kildare, and I was very disappointed when Minister Creed didn't turn up and when Car Healy ran away. And what, I mean, oh, hang on, on, on was, was, was Michael
2: Creed expected to turn up? Or Michael
5: w- Creed was supposed to be there at 7 o'clock, Patricia, and we made it on... I was, the beef Planner above in, in, in Kildare um, you know, that morning from nine o'clock on, we, we had a bilateral meeting with uh, Michael Downing, the independent chairperson. Yeah. And then uh, we got news of the word that um, Cormac-Keeley had, had ran away from the talk. So that's not good enough. That's and why stressful. why did
2: Michael Creed not turn up?
5: I have no idea. He, I think he was down in, in Fermoy opening some timber company. So that would show to you that the timber industry is more important to Minister Creed than the beef industry. But oh, but that's not good enough. Yeah. That's,
2: sorry, this is okay, we're well trying to find out. I'm wondering why, because it's unusual if a minister says he's going to attend talks, and he wasn't there, he wouldn't there, just show. We'll, yes, we'll, so we'll, 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 send out a, an email and and see if we can find out. George, did you want to come or, in there? The, George, yeah. yeah. It was like the whole thing, like
7: on the meeting, like I was, I was to another one, which was Sunday night, and he was going to the meeting. He was actually he was hitting up that time Sunday night. When I was and like it just shows the lack of respect that the farmers have. Like we like, the primary producer of the beef, And the lack of respect that the factory has shown us like with like twenty years now. And they won't they don't know they just left everyone go kill there like and they won't even show up in like just they have no respect whatsoever. So it just
2: And what is your is own that. what is your own story, Jur? Have you been farming all your life? Is it, it did your fa- uh, was it, was it, father... was father before uh, you?
7: My yeah, my father. Uh, to be honest with you, I am uh, in the process of inheriting the farm from my father and my mother-like.
6: Okay.
7: Uh, like, we both work full-time. Uh, and at the moment, we are, the job that I'm at right now is funding or is going to fund the farm to keep going. And that's not sustainable. Like, as a wife, of children, I have a mortgage, and I cannot keep doing that. So this has to... We have to be paid a fair price, and all we want is the cost of production and the margin. We're not looking for millions. Like Don Meets Don Charles, we made 19 million profit last year, and they can't give us the cost of production. Like, it's just, it is absolutely crazy. And it's gone on, like, if you go on YouTube, or go on Google and type in Larry Goodman, like, there was a documentary made in 1991 about Larry Goodman and the cartel running, and... The whole thing, and since '91, it's still gone on like, and like we've had enough with, like. A, possibly, like I'm the younger generation now coming on, and we're not standing for it. Like, so let's have our lot of land. And not anymore. Just,
2: yeah, and I know when we've been speaking with farmers, the fear is that there isn't many like you, Jar. There isn't many younger generations who want who want to take it on. Okay, uh, I'll leave it there, uh, Ger, um Thank you uh, for for uh, joining us, um, uh, Helen. Stay
6: with I was us because, like to stay there because yeah,
5: just there, just very quickly, just the point Joe was making about back in the eighties when Larry Goodman was brought up about the repackaging of meat and stuff and all that was pushed under the carpet. But I mean, the thing here is that our the current president of, of the meat industry, of Ireland is Cormac Healy. Now, like he's what they're doing now is they're turning the whole thing over on the farmer, and it's the whole David and Goliath situation here again, Patricia. They're trying to make like like if it's the farmer's fault when in fact it's not. And I feel at this stage, if Cormac Healy cannot um, take part in talks, I think maybe he should consider stepping down. If he cannot address this current impasse, Patricia, you know why is he there? These farmers, this I can't see why these talks can't go ahead while the farmers are on the picket line. The farmers are afraid that they will lose their power if they come off of it, and rightly so. You know they lasted before, and look what happened. Okay. So, you know I, I do think m- maybe perhaps Carmichael should consider consider his position and maybe put it put in someone that can can do something here for the farmers.
2: Okay, Mary wants to get in on this conversation, and this is uh, is this Dawn meets in in Charleville. Um, good morning, Mary. Hi, how are you? I'm I'm very well. Are you working at Meets or you've a family member working at Meets? Family member working there, Mary. Okay. And when I mentioned, uh, when I asked, "Sure, was there any people that go?" I was told, "No, everyone's okay in Meets in Shireville. Everybody went into work this morning." You say that's not what you're hearing? No,
5: because there's no kill here today. There's no one. There's no killing line working today.
2: Okay. So have well, people? Well,
5: uh, there's people working. there are they're, they're finishing off what left to be finished off and after after the season, who
2: knows. So are you expecting layoffs? I
5: presume they will willing for if they can, they can bring the cattle in, but they can't get it out, so if they can't be walked there, then can they?
2: Obviously not. How, and how are, is, is everyone in the factory, Mary, feeling about the, the farmers? Are Have you it, sympathy for the farmers? Have you understanding where they're coming from? Look, it's it's sad for everybody. It's
5: very sad for everybody, but who's going to pay my family's bill next week when they don't have work.
2: But are you being used as pawns in the middle of all of this, Mary?
5: I don't know. I just I just don't know. I'm just I'm just sad for my family and everyone else's family that wanted wages next week. Helen? I feel very much for Mary because we're we we are exactly the same position as Mary being farmers. I mean Mary wouldn't work for less for four euros an hour. That's all the circular farmers are getting. That's less than the the um you know than the minimum wage. So I like I understand perfectly well where Mary's coming from. So that is why I think, you know, why doesn't Car Healy step in? Why didn't he intervene last week and look after his workers? And look after the farmers of Ireland, his customers? Because without the farmers, Mary won't have a job. You know? And that's mm. the reality of it. And it'll be a whole section of rural and close down because because of this whole impact that can't be broken.
2: Okay, I can see this for a lot of you. Mary, thank you for that. Thank you for for your call. Uh, Patricia, why? This is a text. Why are the farmers not talking about their payments in the post? Are they including these subsidies in the price per kilo when they say what they are getting? I'm not anti-farmers. I come from a farming family, but you never hear about the check in the post.
5: Unfortunately, the check in the post is very small, Patricia. And without that check in the post, there would be for sale signs up in our gates long, long ago. Um, Like I say, that is very minimum. Uh, you know like uh, we, we're only getting to four euros an hour uh, nobody would work for that uh, you know it's below the minimum wage it's half of the minimum wage and also w- you know we, we've been told about this 100 million that's coming out that's only an extra 60 cent us, Patricia it might look good It might and look not good. every farmer I know we discussed not every, not farmer, every farmer, farmer is, is getting that. it as well like okay. the average target farmer got 8,350 last year Patricia and that's for forty hour a week. And as you know, the farmers don't work just a forty hour a week. They work Saturday and Sunday bank holiday and Mondays. We don't get holidays. But
2: give me that figure again, based on a forty hour a week. They got how much?
5: Four euros an hour. Yeah, and hour that's weekend. basing it
2: on a four on, on, and a, that's based
5: on, it on a forty hour a week. Which, as, as you, you know, say, they do much I more. Mean, we do much more. We, we're up in the morning at three and four o'clock, calving down cows. We work Saturday and Sundays. We don't get bank, We don't get double pay for bank holidays, and we don't get twenty days off holiday days in the year. I don't know when last I was on a holiday. Okay, to I can see I just want to just can I just take time out here to say to, to those farmers that are on the picket lines. I think there's fierce credit due to them, Patricia. They're out there day and night, they're burnt out, they're under savage pressure both mentally and financially. And it's not good enough nor is it accessible, Patricia. I think it's time now. I think our minister has let us down, Minister Creed has let us down very badly. I think the Torres will have to intervene here,
2: Simon Cobley, immediately. You know, we need to get. Well, we somebody need to get needs to do something because it's we're wrong. at we're at a stalemate and and we're getting yeah, nowhere and, at and the, the farmers moment. Farmers
5: are underneath, and you know, you as you know, they wouldn't be there. You know, they're the most honest, hardest working people you come across. To think back in 1966 that the farmers of from far back as bear have to walk up, imagine walk to Dublin, and to think 53 years later, here are all these innocent farmers out here in picket lines, twenty four seven looking for the same thing that they were looking for back in 1966 and that was for a fair price for cattle imagine to think 53 years later Patricia here we still are everyone else making money off the farmers Look what the factories are
2: making. Look what Okay, Some are of making. the calls coming in, I can't, and texts coming in. Hi Patricia, I think the next thing that will have to happen is to close all the marts in this country. Stop the movement of cattle until this problem is solved. And Jim says, Patricia, there is too much monopoly in the beef slaughtering sector in this country. The two main ones are APB and DAWN and they're calling the shots. At least in the dairy industry you have a lot more competition with seven or eight or, or more. Uh, this whole sector needs to be overhauled. Okay, I've got it leave it there. Um, uh, okay, sorry ahead this to get
5: back to your question earlier on today Yes, the, about the, the protesting outside yeah, the retailer today. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's outside Musgraves today from about 2pm two, 2 to about 10 tonight. Again, we feel they're a big part um, in this as well like they're getting 50% of the cost of our price of, of our meat. So we'd like them to clarify their position on these anti-competitive practices. So if these were abolished again, that would take the pressure off the farmer you know, again like I told you before, if the cattle go over 30 months the farmers automatically drop 12 cent per kg, which is a lot of money. So if, if these um, retail tailors can establish, like Little did, and uh, Pat McDonough, or oh, the Supermax, if they can just establish that they don't require this, that would take an awful lot of pressure off the farmer both mentally and financially. So, you know, we encourage if there's people in the area today to come along, you're more than welcome to come along and help us peacefully protest in Musgrave today.
2: Okay. we'll keep an eye on that protest. Thanks, Helen, and thanks for joining us. That is Helen O'Sullivan, who is with the Beef Plan Movement and she farms in West Cork. 1850 333 103, lines open.
4: The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork so, if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary.
8: With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie.
2: C103. On the way in the next hour, we look and hear about school secretaries and why they're threatening industrial action and also uh, giving advice to parents and To start protecting their children online.
4: Martina O'Donoghue. Make C103 part of your drive home with up to date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel good song of the day, plus our feel good story, and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103.
8: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed
2: talking about Ed Sheeran earlier this morning with the speculation and people trying to guess and work out. We'll know on Monday morning at 8 o'clock uh, who's going to be this major concert taking place in Cork for next year. Uh, and we know how successful the Ed Sheeran concerts were. Actually getting, still getting texts in on it including one in from a listener who by texting fingers crossed it's Gareth Brooks and then he comes to Cork for four nights. How much fun would that be? And he would sell out too that's for sure. Eighteen fifty-three-three-three-one-zero-three. a lot of commentary coming in in on the farmers and the beef dispute which is ongoing and I will get back to them I promise because there's text coming in from both sides people very much supporting the beef farmers but also people getting very very annoyed particularly the fact that 3,000 factory workers have been temporarily left off and that is starting to affect and those families are starting to feel the pinch. So I'll get to all of your comments, but I want to move on to a different topic because school secretaries are to take industrial action later this month over the Department of Education's refusal to address what they describe as a two-tier pay system. To give us the background, I'm joined by Joe O'Connor, who is Campaign Director with FORSA Trade Union. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning. Now can you explain uh, for people who are unaware of this, how this two-tier pay system works for school secretaries?
8: Yes, the situation is is that school secretaries who were employed under an old 1978 scheme which was later shut down in 1983 um, are directly employed by the Department of Education and Skills and essentially they're treated as public servants and they're on the clerical officer pay scale with all of the terms, conditions and protections that you would expect for school staff and and for public servants and also any school secretary whose patron body is the education and training boards is similarly treated so we estimate that that comes to about 10% of, of school secretaries all other school secretaries are employed by a grant which is paid to school boards of management by the department and they are essentially paid from that grant, their terms and conditions of employment are by and large locally determined and as a result of this the vast vast majority of school secretaries who I think most of your listeners would agree play a critical role in schools and most would assume that they have similar protections to other school staff it means that they're on very low pay no occupational pension provision whatsoever no sick leave scheme and most of them are not paid over their holidays so the summer months they have to sign on the dole even though they know they'll be coming back to the same school in september
2: and is there a big variation in salary from one school to the other
8: there are variations, absolutely. Um, in 2015, we were successful in securing an arbitration agreement that lifted the floor rate of pay for the job up to €13 an hour as of this year, and we have had some difficulties in actually getting that implemented in certain schools, but that is the current lowest rate uh, hourly rate of pay for the job, which obviously was an improvement on the previous situation where you had a huge amount of school secretaries who were earning the minimum wage or even less. But agreement that we reached in 2015, it expires at the end of this year. So our campaign that we launched in January, Support Our Secretaries, was about saying that it was time now to end this inequality and injustice that really has been going on for almost four decades at this point within the school system, and that we needed to treat these people who are critical cogs in the machine in schools that they they deserve to be treated as public servants in the same way as their school colleagues and in the same way as a small minority of school secretaries across the country.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, Joe, most people would be quite shocked to realise that the school secretaries only get paid when the school is open. Uh, And certainly I know over the years we would have heard from school secretaries in the summer who were having problems getting their social welfare payments. There was often delays in the social welfare payment. Uh, I remember one year, one school secretary was back in school in September before she got the money that she was due during the summer?
8: There are numerous reports of some some difficulties like that but I think of all the numerous different injustices that school secretaries face I think that the one that they find the most devaluing is that at the time of year when their colleagues are talking about what they're going to do on their break or what they're going to do for their summer holidays that they're preparing once again maybe after working for 20, 25 years in the same school to go and, and sign on the dole. And we just think that that's simply not good enough. And no one we've spoken to either in terms of the public or politically really disagrees that this is a fundamental wrong that needs to be righted. In fairness to the minister, he has acknowledged that there is a problem here that needs to be addressed. But unfortunately, the difficulty that we've had is that we launched our campaign in January. We only were in a position to start talks with the department in late May, almost into the summer. And while we were expecting to go into that set of talks to discuss in a meaningful way how we could bring about a resolution to this issue once and for all and ensure that from January of next year that school secretaries were going to be in a better position than what they've been in, in in years past, the position of the department was essentially that they were unable to have any meaningful talks on the issue, they felt that they needed to do another costing of the claim, so what it would cost to deal with this, even though in April, the previous month, they had presented very, very accurate, up-to-date, detailed costings to an Oireachtas committee of what it would cost to deal with this. So from our point of view, we're very concerned that this is another delaying tactic, that this is intended to kick this issue down the road, out beyond the budget, so that even if we are able to reach an agreement, we end up, up in a situation where no funding is actually in place to address this in 2020. And school secretaries who are not a group, who are minded in any way to go down the route of industrial action, they have really done everything but industrial action in trying to get justice on their issue over many, many, many years, now feel that they have no choice if that they're going to make the breakthrough that we've really been working hard to make that they need to, to, to take industrial action.
2: Yeah, and when I mentioned earlier, Joe, that you were coming on the programme that we would be discussing this issue, I made that point. I don't ever remember school secretaries going out, taking any kind of industrial action before.
8: That's right. And I suppose the, the decision of the branch was that really the feeling of our members up and down the country is that enough is enough and that it's time for some real... Action and some real positive movements on this issue. It's way, way, way overdue as far as we're concerned. And just to be clear to your listeners, the nature of the industrial action is that on the 20th of September, our members will, with support from the rest of the school community, we've had great support from teachers' unions, from parents up and down the country. So at the start of the school day on 20th of September there will be a one hour picket held in schools around the country and then after that school secretaries will be working under a work to rule and the nature of that work to rule will be one that will be intended to cause the minimum disruption to parents, the minimum disruption to local schools. School secretaries will carry out all of their regular duties at a local school level but the difference is, is that School secretaries are relied on by the Department of Education and Skills in terms of processing, in terms of the systems that they run, uploading data, uploading information about student numbers. And essentially what we're saying is is that the department is not willing at the moment to treat these people as public servants, to treat these people as their employees. And if they're relying on them to operate their national grid, then we will plug school secretaries out of that grid until this issue is resolved. So that's the clear message. We, We believe that the department need to take action. And if they rely on school secretaries in the way that they do, then they'll treat them in the way that they deserve to be
2: treated. And they do such a wide variety of uh, tasks. I mean, you talk to anyone and they'll say one of the major cogs in the school wheel is, and in the main, it's women, uh, is the school secretary.
8: Absolutely. It's it's an incredible breadth of functions from doing the accounts, from administrative duties to organising events, dealing with parents, dealing with visitors at the school providing a huge range of support to the school principal and any, other Any Any, Sorry
2: for interrupting you. Anytime a child is sick, they're always sent down to the school secretary.
8: Absolutely. And actually, what the, the best a school secretary can currently hope for, of what we're trying to achieve for all school secretaries through this campaign, is to be treated like a clerical officer in the public and civil service, But in reality, if you look at the range of duties and the range of responsibilities that a school secretary has, and this is in no way to take away from the critical role that clerical officers play in a wide range of functions across the country. If you look at what's set out by the Public Appointment Service, the the responsibilities a school secretary has is actually way over and above that of a regular clerical officer. So really, this is a minimum, minimum ask to say, let's treat these people with a degree of decency and a degree of respect for the critical profession that
7: they have within our schools.
2: Yeah, And I think it is so desperately unfair that these uh, secretaries who have been working many for many, many years, they know the running of the school inside out and that come June, everybody waves goodbye to each other and they've got to walk out, go into the nearest door office and, and sign off and yet as soon as the schools go back, the end of August, the beginning of September, they're expected to be back there. Doing the job that they did back in June—it's just—it's desperately unfair.
8: Absolutely, we totally agree, and I suppose our message to the the minister is, is is pretty clear that what needs to happen here now is a political commitment that a resolution to this issue, which brings about fairness and equality for school secretaries, will be put in place from the 1st of January of next year that money will be set aside in the budget to address this we're not talking about large sums of money to address this this injustice and that meaningful talks will start as a matter of urgency, to try and bring about this resolution. And I think that most people would agree that that's only fair and that's only okay.
2: right. Okay. All right. And I can see a lot of support coming in for people naming various uh, local school secretaries, which, which is lovely. They're very well respected uh, for sure. Okay, uh, Joe, we'll keep in contact with you. And it's the 20th of September, isn't it? Is the, is the first of the days of the industrial action? That's right. 20th. Yeah. Okay. All right. Listen, Joe, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Joe O'Connor, Campaign Director with Forza trade union who uh, represent um, the majority of school secretaries in this country, uh, heading for industrial action at the end of the month. Can I just stay on the school topic for a second because a text has come in from a Skipperine listener and I don't know if this, if anyone else is in the same boat Saint Patricia, um, I'm just wondering, the back to school allowance, is that still being paid out? Skibbereen listener says I didn't get it automatically so I applied for it in August but I've heard nothing back uh, yeah okay so let's just see is it a one off has something happened to you know it can happen where somebody's application gets misplaced lost falls through the cracks in the system or are there other people who applied for the back to school cl- back to school clothing and footwear allowance if you applied in August are you still waiting for payment. If we could find out before will and we'll put a, an email through to the department to see what is going on. But I would be just interested to see, is it just a one-off case or are there more people also uh, waiting on that? That's the Back to school, school Clothing and Footwear Allowance. Are you still waiting on payment? 1850 333 103. I do know the fuel allowance we always get calls in about this every year. The fuel allowance season will begin on the 30th of September. Payment will be made on the same day that people receive their social welfare allowance. That's if you get it weekly. I know uh, other people will have started in recent years opting to get it in two installments but it is the 30th of September is the first state for payment for the fuel allowance for this year. And just on, on a breaking news story from the Beef crisis that we've been at a very busy first hour of the programme this morning. We contacted Minister Michael Creed's office because Helen O'Sullivan who joined us from the Beef Plan movement said that Minister Michael Creed was due to meet them on Monday and he didn't show up at the meeting. Minister Michael Creed has now invited all sides of the beef dispute to meet with him at his department today. We're still awaiting John Paul says a statement on the meeting Oh sorry, I thought that was... okay. Uh, We still haven't found out why he didn't show on Monday but he's now the breaking story is he's now invited all sides of the beef dispute to meet with him in at his department today. But will all sides turn up? That's what happened on Monday. Plan was to get everybody talking. Meat Industry Ireland said, no, not going to show while they said there were illegal blockades outside of the factory. So I don't know if everyone's going to show. And are the retailers going to show? Because they have a certainly an important role to play as well. We need to get everybody around the table. Margaret says, farmers are a disgrace. I have a son-in-law who is a driver and he's laid off work now. Farmers do not hire people to work. So they should be ashamed of themselves. They are putting people out of business. Betty in Malo says, I'm a Fine Gael supporter, but I feel this Taoiseach is all about urban Ireland and not about rural Ireland. As a Fine Gael person, I do feel sorry for Simon Coveney, as I feel he would deal with this situation, the beef dispute, better. But due to Leo Varadkar being in charge, for me, I can't rely on Fine Gael as they seem to want to push everybody out of rural Ireland and into towns and uh, cities, and they just want to close down rural Ireland. Some of your texts in on this. Where is the IFA county chairpersons in Cork County? Are they present at any of the protests? The silence from these people deafening, says Jim. Well, I have heard the president of the IFA. He's been quite vocal on behalf of uh, beet farmers. I don't know about the individual uh, chairpersons. Someone else says not everyone on the picket line of farmers. What farmers are on the line? How many of them are getting farm assist? This is a disgrace. Why can't they reduce the kill? Farmers will turn on farmers as, this, as, they, as they do not have a united front. And there'll be nothing worse if you've got farmers turning on farmers. Dennis says, Patricia, if 10 to 15% of beef farmers left the industry and planted their farms with a forestation scheme instead. The supply of beef cows would reduce and the knock-on effect was the price of the cows would increase for the others who stay in the sector. That is one solution. That's coming from Dennis. John and Carragher Line says, Patricia, I spent all my life listening to farmers moan but they can't make money. They get cheap diesel and all the subsidies and free handouts that are going and yet they are still moaning. But still you see them in their new John Deere and Massey tractors going down the road into the building site going and then going home and milking cows. My opinion, farmers are starved for money, says John in Carrigaline who doesn't sound like he's got a lot of sympathy for the farmers. Tom says, the root of the problem is the high stocking rate on some some farms. We have factory farming in this country. No point in us pointing the finger at the US and at Brazil when we have 5% of Irish farmers owning 20% of the cattle. We have a very unfair system when the government and in the EU allow this to continue says Tom that needs to change. And Sandy, now that the factories and the retailers have effectively closed the door on farmers, it is high time that we looked at a, a viable export market and shipping transport is developed, complying with animal requirements this time. The monopolised ownership of Irish meat factories were given, should be given the boot and regulators of monopolies in the EU have failed consumers and producers alike. So Sandy says, pointing the finger of blame at the EU. And a final text in on this from Liam. Thank you, Liam, to say, my job depends on farming. I service their factory. It's a bigger picture, though, now the parts the courier deliver that I need. The store supplies the parts, the store people that are working there the diesel supplier, the contractor for the silage and the slurry, the garages that sell the machinery, the people who work for them, the suppliers of the plastic for the silage, the vets, the feed suppliers of the cattle feed, the cattle trucks and the use of diesel in those cattle trucks. I could go on and on for a week thanking you, which is uh, backing up what we spoke about earlier, that this impact on if this impasse is not resolved there will be a massive impact on rural Ireland. A lot more people are going to get affected, that is for sure. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Let me play our competition once again. This is from the McCroom Food Festival running from September 19th to the 22nd. Every day we're playing an audio clip of an Irish chef. One of the words is bleeped out when he's giving out his donut skiing today, when he's giving out the ingredients, we've bleeped out one of the words. You've got to try and work out what is the bleeped out word. The great thing
1: about an Irish stew is that it doesn't take too many ingredients. You've got onion, (laughs) celery and potatoes.
2: Okay, whatever your thoughts on that, hang on to those thoughts because it will be, after 12 o'clock today, we'll, tell you how you can enter and uh, win. And today's prize is a Follin's gift pack with new limited edition jams, marmalades and relishes. And then on Friday, of course, we'll be giving away an overnight stay for two people in the Castle Hotel in Macroom with dinner on the night. And we're also going to throw in some taste trail tic- tickets that you can spend at the McCroom Food Festival. The great
1: thing about an Irish stew is that it doesn't take too many ingredients. You've got onion, <laughs> celery and potatoes
2: and I can already see some entries coming in you're too early you're too early we haven't opened the phone lines of the text message service on this yet we will do it after 12 and if you want to check out more about the McCroom Festival you can look at their website macroomfoodfestival.com C103 Jobs Part and full-time till operators with previous experience wanted for Griffins, that's in Dripsy. While a full-time dispensing optician or an optical assistant wanted, it for a busy practice based in Kanturk. Tipper driver wanted, that's for an immediate start. And a courier driver is required. Based in Castletown there. it's to cover holidays and the busy Christmas period experience in courier work. Essential. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. We've just had clarification from the Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed's office uh, when Helen uh, was talking, Helen O'Sullivan of the Beef Plan Movement saying how disappointed she was that Minister Michael Creed didn't show up for the meeting that was scheduled for 7 o'clock on Monday and I said I was surprised to hear that the Minister, if he'd promised to go to a meeting, that he wouldn't show up. A spokesperson for Minister Creed has been on to clarify that the talks last Monday on the beef crisis were facilitated by the minister scheduled to take place uh, on Monday were to be chaired by the independent chairperson Michael Dowling who the beef plan movement had acknowledged to be a suitable chair for the process. The independent chair held meetings throughout the day with all of the farm organisations as scheduled and planned in the process set out by him and then a meeting involving all stakeholders was scheduled for 7pm that evening but of course that didn't go ahead owing to the withdrawal of the meat industry Ireland from the process. There was no point in those talks going ahead. The Minister, though, continues to work with all the stakeholders in an effort to resolve the talks process. And as we heard, he has invited all sides in the beef dispute to meet with him at his department today. We'll let you know if we get an update on that. Now, to move to a different topic, parents are being warned There is an incredibly, they have to be incredibly uh, important that they know who their children are speaking to online Uh, after research shows that a fifth of children aged between eight and 10 and a quarter of 12 year olds talk to strangers online every single day. Joining me from Cyber Safe Ireland is their CEO, Alex Cooney. Good morning to you, Alex Good morning. And you're welcome. Now, the the problem is a particular issue among young boys. But we have to say at the outset, most of this talking to strangers is innocent in that it's young boys talking to other young boys, mainly when, when they're gaming. But I suppose is the real fear that they could be exploited? Is that what the real worry is?
9: Yeah, I mean, I think what we wanted to do was was highlight the issue. It is it is extensive. So we found that uh, of the nearly 4,000 children that we surveyed, aged between 8 and 13, 40, 43% of children were talking to people that they didn't know online in some capacity, and a third of those children were speaking to them either every day or at least once a week. So it is, it is very pervasive. Now, we do point out in the report that, as you say, not every incident of, of a child talking to a stranger online is ominous, but what we want to urge parents is to really engage with their children it's important that they know who their children are talking to online and that we're having conversations with children around you' know, around these things and the importance of not trusting everything that they come across online and not accepting everything at face value people aren't always who they say they are you know the, the majority of instances may well be entirely innocent but there will there is always that possibility um, that that there are that, you know that they might be engaging with someone who um, it has an unhealthy interest in children.
2: Yeah, and somebody who is telling the other nine-year-old child that they're a nine-year-old boy and they may be anything but exactly. uh, a we, nine-year-old boy.
9: And we know that that happens. We know that online predators do use social media platforms and gaming platforms to access children. So, you know, obviously, it's, it's the scary end of the spectrum and we're not saying that, you know, every instance of this is is, is about that. But it happens. It happens. Yeah. And we do think it's really important That we're having conversations with kids about this you know they're online clearly that is the case you know so many children 92 percent of the children that we surveyed owned their own smart device so this is not a family device this is not you know borrowing mom or dad's phone this is their own smart device and we know also from our data that 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 owning their own smart device means that they're more active online so we found that of the kids that own their own smart device 67 percent were on social media for example and of the kids that didn't own their, smart, their own smart device, only 24% were. So there is an argument to say, hold off on giving your child their own device. You know, absolutely encourage use of a family device. There is every argument to say that children should be exposed with guidance to the online world, that those digital skills are an important um uh, aspect of learning uh, for the future. You know, none of this is going away. None of, the, none of the technology is going to disappear. It's only going to become more sophisticated. So the more that we can prepare our children for the online world, the better. But what we're saying is children should not just be left to it. Uh, they need, need that yeah,
2: And you need to know what they're doing and you need to talk to them about what, the, what, what they're doing. But you were talking about 8 to 13-year-olds when you were giving some of the stats uh, earlier, Alex. Yeah. But the, the people will say, is the digital age of consent 16? Yes. Yeah. So the digital, we had a
9: big debate about this in Ireland last year, and I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners will remember. And ultimately, we, we set the digital, digital age of consent at 16. What that means, uh, uh, really, that was for the, 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 the online service providers, so the likes of, of Facebook and, and Snapchat and so on. That was to say to them, you are, children are not allowed to sign up to your services Uh, without parental consent until they're 16. And you're not allowed to gather their data or advertise to them. So that was what that was about. Um, It wasn't necessarily always understood to be about that. But actually what's happened is is very little has changed in practice. It is still pretty much easy for a child to sign up to these online services with or without parental consent. They simply need to put in a a false age. Uh, And there's very little to stop them accessing the full range of services. Uh, so, you know, it, it hasn't, all that debate last year, whilst it was interesting and it may well have had an influence on, on some parents in terms of the age at which they're letting their children access these services, it hasn't changed the numbers that are, 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 are on, you know, the, the fact that there are large numbers of underage children using these services.
2: And I think the other statistic that people will be horrified by is the amount of time that children are spending online. That is an ongoing concern.
9: It is. Yeah. And and this is something we really highlighted. And, you know, and again, in the report, we're not saying that uh, all time is the same time. You know, there are plenty of different activities that we can be doing online and some of them are more positive than others. But I think most people would agree that four plus hours per day for a primary school age child is a lot. And what we're urging parents and carers to do is think about the amount of time that their kids are spending online and and ensure that it's, you know, really quality, quality use of time. Um, and that, that there are limits. What what we'd be particularly concerned about children um, using online, uh, sorry, using devices into the night. You know, we've mm. spoken to plenty of children who are using devices in their bedrooms um, up uh, up until the wee hours, you know, and this is affecting... Like everybody at, else
2: in the house is asleep yeah. and you've got a son yeah. or a daughter in a bedroom on their Absolutely. smartphone.
9: Absolutely. We have come across instances of that where children say, yeah, the Wi-Fi goes off at 11, but I carry Carry on using my device. Um, beyond that, I've just downloaded some, some movies onto Netflix, and and this again is primary school age children, and this is affecting uh, their their school performance. They're going into school tired, and you, you know you talk to teachers, and they'll tell you that children are tired. You know we go into classrooms all the time. We deliver sessions to children in third, to sixth class. We have very good trainers, by the way, in Munster. If if, uh, if any schools are listening in. Um, but we, we, we're talking to teachers and they're telling us it's having a real impact in the classroom, not just uh, tired kids, but also concentration levels are affected. Obviously, they're coming uh, across cyberbullying incidents. It really is affecting the dynamic in the classroom.
2: So what's the possible solutions, Alex? Is it more regulation? Is it more awareness campaigns?
9: It's all of the above. What we, at a, at a, let's start with a parent level. We really need parents to acknowledge the responsibility that comes with, with children's access to the online world. They really need to be guided and supported and prepared for the online world, much in the way that we prepare children for other aspects of life, whether it's crossing the road, whether it's water safety, whether it's learning to cook safely. You know, we guide them, we prepare them, and we need to do the same with the online world, and that's got to be ongoing. And it's, it's about putting good boundaries in place and sticking to them. So if we're saying as parents, no, no use in the bedroom, we need to, we need to stick to that. Um, for what we'd like to see in schools is, is a much more consistent approach to educating children. We want to see digital literacy education being rolled out across primary and secondary schools. We want to see teachers, because we found that most teachers don't feel equipped to teach this in the classroom. We want to see teachers being supported, being trained to, to deliver this. You know, looking at a digital champion in every school. There are great resources for teachers out there, but they're not always being. We're not. We're not coming across every teacher that knows about these resources from the likes of WebWise or, or, or CyberSafe Island or Common Sense Media. Um, and from, uh, from a government perspective, yes, we need, we need regulation of the online service providers. We've had a lot of talk about that over the last year, but we still need to see action. We need to see um, movement on this. Um, And we want to see that that, that their weight being thrown behind, you know, really good education measures across the country.
2: Okay, we'll leave it there, Alex. Um, Pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. And uh, continue good luck with the great work that you do at uh, Cyber Safe Ireland. But thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Alex Cooney, CEO of CyberSafe Ireland. Irene is a parent in East Cork. And she said, Yes, Patricia, glad you're having this conversation today. Uh, What happens online should be a real concern for uh, parents outside of games, she said, uh, that seem to be safe enough. Her son plays a lot of these uh, games online. They live in a rural area. So she said the children don't get to meet up with their friends uh, every night. So they're on their different devices. But recently she noticed her daughter was chatting to what were random people on online websites. So there's a number of them out there. You don't have to register and you can chat to anyone. She noticed uh, that some of the conversations were inappropriate people looking for photographs and you can imagine the kind of photographs they were looking at. Uh, Irene said she was absolutely shocked, she presumed. Now I don't know what age her daughter is but she presumed that her daughter was looking up very innocent websites and going on YouTube. She never thought that she'd be interacting with strangers online. Uh, they now have put a system into the house whereby the Wi-Fi goes off at a certain time every night. But uh, she said it just was very scary. You really do need to check up on what your children are doing and typing and who they are chatting to and that's where Cyber Safe Ireland that's where this report has come out that's where they're saying parents need to know exactly what their children are getting up to and when you think about it as I say I don't know I don't have Irene's sons our daughter's uh, age group but what Alex and Cyber Safe were talking about the survey that they have done they, the, they started talking and surveying children as young as 8 and half of all eight-year-olds have signed up to social media using a false age group at eight they shouldn't be on many of the social media websites because it's 12 and 13 isn't it for Facebook and is it for Instagram and Snapchat all they do is put in a false a false age but then they discovered how many of those young people are talking to strangers I mean that would be exactly what Irene is talking about with her daughter she doesn't know these people that she's talking to and you just don't know who is pretending to be another 12-year-old young girl uh, that person could be far from uh, twelve years of age. 1850, 333, 103, lines open.
8: Nick Richards, weekday afternoons from one.
2: C one
4: zero three. I'm in Cove today for the People's Regatta. Victor, you are a amazing
7: balloon modeler. Thank you very much. Where do you learn to do amazing stuff like what you do now? I
1: always say is yes, the result of years and years and years of unemployment. I mean practice. Sorry. How many balloons would you bring with you on a day? There is a bag here with about two thousand
2: ever run out of balloons?
1: Yes, sometimes I do but I pretend really well that people don't realise that. Join me
2: weekday afternoons from what? 1 c 103 My next guest is hosting a Shave or Die, Die being D-Y-E event, this Saturday night in Pat Barry's Bar in Dunamore. The night will also mark the first anniversary of his all-clear from cancer. Dara O'Shea joins me to discuss his fundraising event on behalf of the Irish Cancer Society. Good morning to Dara. Uh, you're welcome to the programme take me back it was March of last year 2018 when you received this cancer diagnosis what was the lead up to that for you health wise
10: Um, I suppose it kind of started around October of 2017 that um, I kind of started getting the pain in my knee uh, in my left knee and uh I was playing sports, I was playing soccer, I was playing hurrying football. So like there's no real motive so I was kind of playing it down to sport like and uh playing I I in it that guy kind of stayed with me until March that um uh, but after Christmas I started getting sick for no real reason. Started getting fevers, started getting temperatures and all that and flu's and then flu and stuff. And, um, I, uh, yeah, sorry, I got, um, the, the pain we need stayed with me. And I started losing weight between January and March. And my sister said no North, the dude, I'm so they kind of said, there's something up here. So in April, it was a, this end of April, start of uh, March, they sent me for, to get my brother's done, and, um, they came back, and, they were slightly off, but nothing, nothing major, and, I was working at the time, and, I came home from work one day, couldn't go training, pain in my head, pain in my knee, so, sisters were like, you have to go in, you have to go into A&E tomorrow, right? so, went in that morning, and, uh, it was uh, Thursday morning I went in and the following Saturday then, two days later, they had the diagnosis that I had his cancer.
2: So that was the 31st of uh, March yeah. and you get a diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Can you yeah. remember what went through your mind when you got that diagnosis?
10: Well, I suppose it's a shock. You don't really know how to react it was shocking like there a few tears but that only like, all only lasted it a minute and it, it's a case of you have to stand up and fight it. it it is what it is you can't can't hide from it like so you have to carry on with it that's kind of my attitude to the whole thing
2: and what sort of treatment did you then get?
10: Uh, I was on um, orca so I'd go in once, uh, every three weeks, um, and for six, six sessions, that, um, I'd go in about half eight that morning, they'd take my blood to see, and they'd, to see what uh, dosage I needed and stuff, and they'd make up the, the chemo then, and there'd be five or six bags, I think, pumped into me throughout the day then.
2: And so then I, off you'd go for another three weeks?
10: Yeah, like I'd go in from half eight to four on a Thursday and I'd be home then that evening and be fine for until the following three weeks.
2: And how did you feel when you were on the chemo? I mean, you hear some people have having dreadful side effects from it.
10: Yeah, no, I, I was okay. Um, I suppose it was the following three or four days that... You, be, you take the hit already. you would be tired and just lethargic and stuff. And, like, I was on steroids and different tablets and stuff at the time just for five days after. And I think that I was on was about 25 tablets hosting
6: wow. every morning. Wow.
10: So,
2: did you did you lose your hair?
10: I did, yeah. Yeah.
2: Did it fall uh, out? Did You you lost it completely? Did you go completely? Yeah.
10: yeah. It had falling out uh, the May Bank holder. um, so I said I might as well just shave it all, all off before it first came patching and then I say it was kind of in June then you can you can kind of see the little patches, so I completely wet shaved it then, so I've proper smooth on top
2: <laughs> and I've seen a photograph of you you rocked the look you you really looked well ok Thank so you. so go on then Six within six months you are getting an all clear
10: yeah so and I got the diagnosis on the 31st of March and got all clear then on the 13th of September
2: the 13th coming up to uh, tomorrow the, this Friday last year the, uh, yeah. yeah so uh, it was it was certainly lucky lucky 13th and and, and you obviously do you clearly remember that day and the reaction
10: yeah, yeah like like uh, I to I felt perfect and kind of knew myself best. we were after beating it like and they went in and, and told us that everything was fine it is completely gone and sure a- again you were kind of just lost words at that time too because you-, you don't know how to react to that either even though it's great news you just don't know how to react to it
2: And tough on your family Dara because they've got to watch you go through it
10: Yeah like uh, I've uh, said the whole time that it was very tougher on everyone out there than than was on me because everybody surrounded me and everybody binds in together and like I, I, I couldn't say how much I appreciate the help that I got off everyone like between friends, families, teammates, the community, everyone. There's mascots coming in left right centre, there's Texas coming in and like that that meant It keeps you
2: going. It's terrific. Yeah, it's it's really terrific. So the hair starts to grow back, and then you decide on March of this year to kind of acknowledge the anniversary of the Jesper diagnosis. You went and got your hair cut. Yeah. So and then you haven't had a haircut since.
10: No. So for first March this year, um, the day, the a year to the day to the day that I got a the diagnosis. I says, "Right, I'll get my hair cut here now, and I'll leave it grow until the 13th September, the day that I got out here. Take all pains through the six months again. Yeah,
6: yeah.
10: But at, at the end of it, have a good cause to, yeah, put money into. So I'm I'm raising money for the Irish Cancer Society. And hey,
2: come here, are you going to shave your head again?"
10: Oh, to go completely bald again! And can I say, because I
2: I saw you on um, being interviewed down at the Sam McGuire's seven. Yeah. By God, you've got a fine head of hair. It, yeah,
10: it's uh, it's actually changing colour again.
2: Well, it was a slightly green shade in in what the video I saw.
10: Yeah, it's uh, completely blue now.
2: <laughs> so oh. you're doing the dyeing bit and the shaving bit. Yeah, the,
10: the last three weeks. Um, I might as well have some fun with it <laughs> Well you're certainly you're, you're, there, so.
2: you're certainly doing that so you have a big night planned for this Saturday in, in Pat Barry's.
10: Yeah. So I'll be shaving oil off again uh, it's all kicky ass this half night on Saturday evening. So uh, all welcome. <laughs>
2: People could come along, and you've okay. got, you've got, and you your fundraising, uh, and it's you've got one of the just giving fundraising, and we'll get it up on our Facebook page. You're doing incredibly well,
10: yeah. Thank God, thank God. You've gone over
2: your target already, haven't you?
10: Yeah, well over it. It's, um, I think that I said to pay a little 500, and eight times over that That's though.
2: brilliant It's it's just yeah. brilliant and it's all going to the Irish Cancer Society so it'll it'll help out other people who get that devastating yeah. uh, diagnosis and when I mentioned you took did you take part in the Sam 7s in Dumbammy last weekend?
10: It is How did you get on? Uh, we uh we lost
2: uh, our local rivals <laughs> uh, in the final Oh the <laughs> Who were the local rivals? In <laughs> So do you want to say congratulations to them?
10: Uh, I will. They're uh, they, they're generous to me that uh, on the day.
2: God, God, but
10: they're God. amazing as well. So.
2: Listen, it was a real pleasure to talk to you. Best of luck with the event on Saturday night. You'll rock the balls look again and continue good health to you.
10: Thanks for, Thanks, million, Thanks for us. Thanks a million, Darrow. Bye-bye,
2: bye-bye. Thank you. What a lovely young man that is, uh, Darrow O'Shea. And if you want to pop along, Pat Barry's on Saturday night in Dunhamore. I'd say it's going to be a rockin' great night from half past nine. And the good news is it's all native of the Average Cancer Society. And we'll put a link to Darrow's fundraising up on our Facebook uh, page. John Paul will sort that out for us.
8: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Can I update you on some of the things we have, some issues that have come up on the programme that we've been addressing this morning. Firstly, uh, we did get on to Cork County Council to try to find out what time would the Mallow Bridge be opening at tomorrow because we were told on Monday it was definitely going to be opened tomorrow, Thursday. And I can tell you, Cork County Council have just been in contact to say that the northbound lane on Mallow Bridge is due to reopen tomorrow morning at 8am. Now, the installation of the boardwalk structure, that's not going to happen until early next year, they're telling us now, but work will continue with the necessary accommodation work as they prepare the bridge for the installation of the boardwalk structure and Cork County Council uh, say that they'll give us updates on the progress of the project throughout the works. But the good news for people who have been caught up in traffic delays For what has been now six, seven weeks at this stage, the good news is that as from tomorrow morning at 8am, the northbound lane of the Mallow Bridge will open and life should return to some kind of normality people at least won't have the huge delays in the morning and in the evening time it seems to be even worse than it is in the morning time now will it have to close again for the installation of the boardwalk I don't know that but we'll deal with that when it happens next year it's going to be 2020 we do know that the boardwalk structure is been built or assembled off site and then they'll bring it in and I know that they are going to do their level best to try to do a lot of that installation work at night so hopefully we won't have further closures of the northbound lane if there are to be closures then it won't be for as long certainly as this particular closure has gone on but good news bridge reopening in Mallow tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and we also by the way got on to the department about the listener who contacted us who was did I have a name on that uh, listener just a Skibbereen listener who contacted us because she applied for the back to school clothing and footwear allowance back in August hasn't been hasn't received any money, hasn't heard anything and was wondering was there ongoing delays with other people. So we put it out and actually have to say we didn't hear from anyone having delays. Anyone who contacted us said no, that they received their payment on time. So we got on to the department to find out was there you know, a bit of a backlog and they say no, that there's no delays at all. So we passed on all the details and the department will get in contact uh, with the Skibbereen listener who contacted us and hopefully she will get sorted out and will get the money um, that she is due to get from the back to school clothing and footwear allowance. Apologies to people who are sending in gardening questions. Peter's not with us uh, today but we'll make a note of any of the questions that have come in and we'll put them to Peter next week. He'll be with us next Wednesday on the programme. Still getting in commentary about the farmers and what's going on with the beef crisis with the news that we broke earlier that Minister Michael Creed has called all sides to join him for talks at his his offices, his department today. So fingers crossed, wouldn't it be great if this time tomorrow we were talking about some successful outcome and that we got an end to this ongoing uh, crisis. John in Cove said, the wheel has turned on the farmers who wanted this country to join the EU or the EEC as it was back in the 70s. Now, this is John's view. If they had kept us out of the EU John reckons we'd be much better off. Farmers, he said, certainly would be better off and the EU now would be coming begging to Ireland for their produce. they would be coming cap in hand. That's John's view, who obviously, I'm assuming, John, are you a Brexiteer? You're very much against the notion of Ireland having ever gone into the EEC as it was. Okay, and some of your texts coming in on this. To the lady who said, who got, came on giving out about farmers because her son has just been laid off he's a i think he's a driver did she say uh, that lady should realize that this, this uh, texter, that not only will her son be out of work but many drivers will be out of work as well as mill operators contractors as well as those feeding cattle for prime beef production it's not sustainable dry cows meat will mostly go for boiling the boiling beef market or export. It's not what you get when you look for a steak. So somebody else pointing out that, the, that if this crisis doesn't get sorted out, there will be huge and further job losses. And then the listener who suggested that one solution to this would be if 10 to 15% of beef farmers simply left the industry and instead opted to put their farms into afforestation. It was Dennis who came up with this suggestion. He was saying then the supply of beef cows would, would decrease and those that remained in the sector, they would get a better price. So he thought that that was an answer. 15% of beef farmers decide, going to give up, put the land into afforestation and then it'll help out the 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 industry at large. Well, not everybody agreeing with Dennis. Maura says, planting trees. Oh yeah, great plan there. You you try living in the middle of a forest, says Maura. People were bullied into planting good land that as far as I'm concerned was the start of the nation of rural Ireland. That's from Mora, And Madge uh, says, do People who are suggesting a forestation, do you realise if the land goes to a forestation, the part of the deal is that the land won't return to farming? And I did not know that. I thought that you grew the trees for a certain period of time, you went, handed it over to forestation because it is good for the for the environment and all that. But more is right if you're living in an area where you're surrounded by afforestation. Not a good place to be living for sure but I didn't realise that it can't go back into farming according to magic. Can't. And somebody else is kind of backing up that saying Patricia when you plant trees on your farm you have to keep planting them. You do not get your land back but you're not told this when you plant the first crop. OK, all right. So that's, people need to look into that. If that's an area that people are considering uh, going down, there seems to be more to that than meets the eye. And a couple of comments in on the Paddy Jackson. Now, this is to do. The reason that this came up, this got kicked off earlier this morning because there is a protest. If I can find it here, there is a protest planned. Where are we going with this? There is a a peaceful protest. It's been described as going ahead at Musgrave Park. Now that's despite the fact that Paddy Jackson's not going to be playing. It's the Munster match that's on with London Irish and we know Paddy Jackson is now with uh, London Irish. They're playing against uh, Munster. Paddy Jackson is not playing but this peaceful protest is still going ahead and it is, they reckon, According to the Echo Live newspaper, approximately 600 people have indicated their interest in attending Friday's protest. Um, one of the people involved in the protest is a name, uh, a lady by the name of Linda Hayden. It, it's a group. It's been organised by anti-sexual violence activist who is Linda uh, Hayden, and a couple of people are pointing out. Patty Jackson went to court. He wasn't, he was tried for rape, but he was found innocent. Leave the man alone is what we're hearing from some people. Well, Linda Hayden, who's one of the organisers of this protest, says, The protest was never about whether Paddy Jackson would play or not, but it was, it's about sending a clear message to London Irish that locker room talk and misogyny should not be tolerated and that Paddy Jackson should not have a professional rugby contract. Linda Hayden continued saying that while she recognises that she must respect the law and the innocent verdict that was handed down to Paddy Jackson, she has serious concerns about the vulgar text messages that Paddy Jackson sent to the fellow Ulster rugby players regarding the complainant on the night in questions. And I think that's their part during that whole trial. It was that series of WhatsApp messages that got a lot of uh, publicity. Uh, even though Paddy Jackson himself, in a statement issued after the trial, expressed remorse for the way he conducted himself, particularly in those text messages, saying that he would always regret the events of that. Uh, evening and it's still now uh, coming back to bite him. Some of your thoughts in on that. Pat says, Morning Patricia. Paddy Jackson was found to be innocent but these headbangers, now that's the word that Pat is using, just want to destroy this man. If it wasn't him it would be some other man. Paddy Jackson should use the same law to destroy those headbangers. What's that? Pat's describing the people who are organising the event on a Friday night. And Henry says Hi Patricia. The court found Patty Jackson innocent. Is there any wonder that crimes don't get reported to the guards when people won't respect the results of a jury? It's extreme feminism that is the biggest danger to women's rights today and that comes in from uh, Henry okay that's just some of the comments that came in on the whole Paddy Jackson issue 1850 and just one uh, quick text in on the piece that we did with cyber safe. Ireland, trying to keep our young people safe when online and the message going out to parents, you need to be incredibly vigilant about what your children are doing online In speaking to your children, interacting with your children, checking their mobile uh, devices because of the amount of young people. And these were eight to 13 year olds who were interviewed, who said that they were in contact and speaking with total strangers online and some do it every single day you don't know who they are talking to and the young people themselves while they think they might be another child they're talking to it could be anything a but a text says Push, I can't believe that children as young as 8 because that's what this survey showed are using smartphones when they could be communicating on a simple phone if necessary parents would never encourage their children to drink until they were adults so why would they want to enable them to be influenced by adult information on the internet it's time for parents to take back control and Alex Cooney of Cyber Safe Ireland made that point that the children at a younger age are owning their own mobile device and it is very hard to keep children away from the internet it's probably almost impossible at this stage but her Alex Cooney's advice was hold out for as long as you can before buying your child a smartphone. I only recently heard a discussion with a, a friend of mine whose son is 10 and is for Christmas. You know, the conversations are already taking place for Christmas and wants a smartphone for Christmas. And she said, absolutely no way. She's holding out until he makes his confirmation and said, no, when, when, at your confirmation, that's when you can get a smartphone. And that's a kind of, what are they, 12 now, confirmation age. And that is probably... If You can hold out that long, but looking at this survey, the amount of eight to thirteen year olds eight nine ten and eleven year olds who own their own smart device is going through the roof a lot of and then they have complete access to the internet and then the danger is that thirty six percent of children have rarely or never spoken to their parents about internet safety, so that conversation has never happened, and one in six children said they were never watched by any parents regarding what they're doing online. So, kind of, they can do what they like. Uh, well, that, uh, that, this is where our texter is saying parents need to take back control of their children. 1850 103. I need to do the competition, John Paul. I'll do it by text. I'll do it by text. OK, this is our competition for the McCroom Food Festival. Every day this week, we're playing an audio clip of a chef doing a cooking segment and we've bleeped out one of the words. You've got to try and work out what is
1: the missing word. The great thing about an Irish stew is that it doesn't take too many ingredients. You've got onion, celery and potatoes.
2: Okay, so making an Irish stew, what's the one ingredient that's missing in that section? of that cookery demonstration that Donald Skeen uh, was doing. Get texting 0862 103, 103. We'll leave it open for about 10 minutes and then we will select a winner from our correct uh, entries and today's prize once again is a Folon, F- Folon's gift pack which is new limited edition jams, marmalades and relishes and it's absolutely yummy. It's a wonderful prize. It's We're giving it away every day this week, Monday to Thursday and and on Friday we have our big prize where we give an overnight stay for two people in the Castle Hotel in McCroom with dinner on the night and also taste trial tickets for you to go along to the McCroom Food Festival uh, We will be able to use up those taste trial uh, tickets. The festival is a few days of absolute fun for all of the family and it's a key culinary weekend in the diary of some very serious foodies and actually you We'll be inviting you to join JP and the C103 Cork Today team on Friday the 20th at 10am when the show will be broadcast live from the Castle Hotel in McCroom. And you can check out all about the festival on macroomfoodfestival.com.
1: The great thing about an Irish stew is that it doesn't take too many ingredients. You've got onion, <laughs> celery and potatoes.
2: What do you think is the missing word? Get texting...
8: 0862103103
2: The C103 Cork Diary
8: with Cork County Council supporting businesses supporting communities serving Cork visit corkcoco.ie
2: The Irish Blood Transfusion will hold donor clinics in Bandon GAA uh, Pavilion 3 to 5 this afternoon and again 7 to 9 tonight a coffee day in aid of Marymount Hospice will be held at the home of John and Ruth Buttermore Baylord West in Rossmoor in Clonakilty. now it's happening as we speak they threw open the door at half past 10 this morning the kettle is boiling and it'll be on the boil until 6 o'clock today invite you to, to call in for a cuppa and to support the wonderful work of Marymount Hospice Meals on Wheels the Middle Parish Division they deliver meals daily to the elderly And others in need In their community Now they're based in Cork City But if you or someone you know Could use their services Can you call them please On 021 427 3934 The Crane Centre Which is located Just at the Junction junction 3 and Balancholic Is a centre for children and adults With spina bifida Hydrocephalus And other neuromuscular impairments They're hosting two separate Bereavement information workshops For adults and parents Led by Deborah O'Neill an experienced bereavement psychotherapist and they are being held on Wednesday the 25th of September between 11 and 12:30 p.m. and then Wednesday the 9th of October between again 11 and 12:30. 30. Uh, parents bereavement information evening is on Wednesday the 7th of October between 7 and 9. If you'd like more information or would like to book a space 021 Four two eight nine two
8: six seven. C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm Can you outline some of the main Chagask recommendations for the safe application of pesticides
7: It says on the label what distance to keep away from public sources of water
8: Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold AgriBusiness for quality feed expert service and support you can trust only
4: on C103 Call today on C one o three. Call Patricia with your comment eighteen fifty three 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 one o three.
2: As we've been discussing for uh, a lot of time this morning, the country's main meat factories have temporarily laid off. 3,000 employees as they're forced to shut their doors due to the ongoing protests over beef prices. Solidarity TD Mick Barry has this morning slammed the decision of Ireland's beef processors and uh, he joins me. Good afternoon to you, Mick. Hi, Patricia. Um, How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. You feel the workers are being used as pawns?
11: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the meat industry have been involved in um, quite a long-running dispute uh, with farmers about the price they get for their beef. And um, they pulled out of talks at the weekend. Uh, And I don't think I would be the only person watching this dispute who thought to themselves, yes, what they're trying to do at this stage is starve those farmers back to work. And I think they upped the stakes yesterday, and I think that they have used those 3,000 workers as pawns by laying them off albeit temporarily
2: And because they have made huge profits they're an industry that can afford to do it Uh,
11: They can afford to do it Um, You're uh, right what you're saying here Um, Some of the biggest businesses in the country some of the wealthiest individuals uh, in this country I mean we've all heard the phrase beef baron and we all know that. Larry Goodman isn't the only um, extremely wealthy person who's made money from this uh, trade and this industry. Um, So I think the decision to walk away from the talks at the the weekend uh, was a step in the wrong direction. And I think the layoffs yesterday uh, are outrageous. And I think that there needs to be uh, a response uh, to it. This shouldn't go unchallenged.
2: And it's almost like Mick, because we've been talking today, and, and some of those workers who are being laid off are listening to the program because we have um, some of those processing plants here in in our area. Um, it's almost like the workers are collateral damage because there's nothing they can do to progress any of the talks or to get this crisis sorted out. They really are stuck in the middle.
11: Yeah, they've been uh, they've been thrown under a bus here by the uh, by the meat industry. I mean there's no clear there's no doubt in my mind that um in the dispute between the farmers and the the, the meat industry uh justice is on the side of the farmers uh, doing my research for the, for our interview this morning i saw a claim that appeared in the irish times in august uh which to my knowledge hasn't gone unchallenged that the, a 10 euro handed over for um beef in a in a supermarket uh, the farmer will get two euro for that. Um, the beef processor will get two euro ninety, uh, and the supermarket retailer will get five euro and ten. Um, so you know, the idea that farmers can be um, paid less for their beef than it costs to to rear and produce. Um, um, I mean, obviously, is the situation that they are right. Uh, to, uh, to uh, challenge. Uh, but, having said that, there is no way on earth um, that the meat plant workers um, should be um, treated like this and there has to be a response uh, to it. Now, w- what I would be calling for, uh, certainly I think pressure needs to be exerted on the meat industry to go back into the talks. Uh, and, and
2: retailers. Th- retailers have a role to play in this.
11: Absolutely, yes. Uh, the Minister has um, done the soft shoe shuffle and kept the retailers out of the talks. There should be talks with representatives of the farmers and also of the retailers uh, and the meat industry. Um, there's there's three forces at play here. And the result of that should be um, a fair price so that uh, the farmers can have uh, a living wage which to, to stay on the land do their work uh, and feed their and feed their uh, uh, families uh, i do think um that the idea of uh, taking the meat industry uh, out of private hands um out of uh, being run on a for profit basis and into public ownership uh, is something that needs to be part of the debate here because i think um if you had the meat industry run under public ownership you could you could still make a profit but you could reduce the profit margins and in doing so you could pay a higher price to the farmers for their beef Uh, So,
2: since we've started discussing this dispute, so many people have suggested that. Why can't it be back in? Why can't we put it into uh, public ownership? Uh, And I know Minister Michael Creed has invited all of the sides uh, to meet at the department uh, today. So we'll wait and see how that goes on. But the Competition and Consumer uh, Commission are once again saying discussions on pricing, they're prohibited under law. And I know that's something that the farmers desperately want, is to, when they sit down, they want to discuss pricing but we can't fix the price of beef.
11: Yeah, well you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Um, and there's creative ways of, of, of doing things that skill, skill negotiators can uh, can organise, in my opinion. I also think that the, 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 the question of the meat industry uh, comes into sharp relief uh, with the, the Brexit situation on the one hand but also with the whole climate debate at the moment, right? Um, Everybody knows that you're not going to be able to continue running Irish agriculture and running Ireland's beef industry along the same lines that has been run for the last 20 years, for the next 20 years. There's going to have to be changes. There's going to have to be a transition to a more sustainable form of agriculture. But that is another reason why public ownership of the beef industry is important because if the beef industry continues to be run uh, on a for-profit basis for big business interests, that's what will come first. Not the interests of the farmers or the workers, as we saw yesterday, or the climate, right? If you have public ownership, you allow the possibility of real negotiations and talks and doing what's best for all involved, including the next generation.
2: Okay, but certainly something has to to give because this is going to have a devastating uh, effect on huge swathes of uh, rural Ireland. Mick, we've got to leave it there. Thank you for that. Okay, thank you, and uh, thank you for joining us uh, today. That is Solidarity uh, TD uh, Mick Barry, uh, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. As I say, the last we've heard from. Minister Michael Creedis, he's invited all sides to talk to these departments today and all we can do is keep fingers crossed that heads will get around the table, people will talk and we will get to some kind of a solution and everybody can go back to work, uh, including the farmers, including the beef processors and including those 3,000 odd workers who have been uh, laid off. Now you can stop texting us on our competition. I have so many pieces of paper in front of me. Where are we gone? This
1: is the Macoon Food Festival. This was
2: the clue today.
1: The great thing about an Irish stew is that it doesn't take too many ingredients. You've got onion, (laughs) celery and potatoes.
2: Now, Here's the answer.
1: The great thing about an Irish stew is that it doesn't take too many ingredients. You've got onion, carrot, celery and potatoes. It was actually carrot because it was
2: just a segment
1: of that recipe
2: that Donald Skean was, was giving out. I can see a lot of people got it right, but a lot of people were also going for various cuts of meat, which I have to say, when I first heard it this morning with John Paul, I went for lamb as well. But it's actually carrot was the correct answer. And we have our winner. Our winner is Joan Ring in Ballina in Tully Lee's congratulations to you, Joan, who has won for herself. A Fway Long gift pack, which has got new limited editions, jams, marmalades, and relishes. Enjoy that, Joan. It sounds absolutely delicious. We have another one of those gift packs to give away tomorrow on the programme. Same format again. We'll play you another audio clip from another chef, and you've got to work out which of the ingredients has been bleeped uh, out, and another of the gift packs to give away tomorrow, and then we'll do it again on Friday when we'll give away the overnight stay for two people in the Castle Hotel in Macroom. It is all part of the Macroom Food Festival, which runs from September 19th to 22nd.
8: Every Friday we're counting down to the weekend weekend. by turning up the Feel Good.
4: C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of Feel Good Greatest Hits.
8: Join Nick Richards from 1 and Martina O'Donoghue from 4
4: as we get you weekend weekend ready.
0: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
8: turning up the feel good for cork for Cork, every friday from one feel,
4: feel good friday only on c103 this is the cork today replay on c103 Cork
2: today on
4: C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment.
2: 086 2103 103. And just a last few look at some of the texts coming in to do with the beef uh, crisis. Uh, Adrian in mid Cork. Patricia, the energy regulator can fix energy prices. Why can't there be a meat industry regulator? Farm subsidies are subsidising the price of food. Um, meat industry Ireland know this and are driving farmers to live on that subsidy and basically providing the cattle at below cost production. It is all wrong. That's from Adrian in Mid Cork. Uh, Anthony says capitalism is rife in Europe and the European masters are strongly behind this as is this government as they have no hand act or part when tackling the multi powers stronghold over all of us that's from Anthony and hi uh, Patricia the farmers sold out on themselves as they handed over the meat factories to beef barons and other co-ops when they were originally controlled themselves the same thing happened with creameries due to short sightedness of farmers and that is from Christy in Temple Glanton thank you for that uh, Christy and I've just seen from the Skibbereen listener who we were helping out with the back to school allowance saying hi Patricia I've just been awarded my back to school allowance my application was in the wrong file. Uh, it has made my day week <laughs> absolutely. Um, that's good to hear. Well done. That can happen. It can just things can go wrong. Someone can fall to the cracks. Generally speaking, they're you know particularly with the back to school clothing and footwear allowance, they're above board. You know they. They are a very efficient bunch and they get all the money that's due to people out as quickly as they can. But just every now and again, something like that will happen. Something will just end up in a wrong box or in a wrong file. So good to know that that's been uh, sorted out and thank you uh, for your text. Now, Keelan Harrington from West Cork has this week started what he hopes will be a world record breaking challenge. He hopes to run nine 100 mile marathons over nine weeks. The first one is done and dusted and Keelan Harrington joins me to outline more. Good morning or good afternoon to you as this stage. Good afternoon Keelan.
11: Good afternoon. See, how
2: are you I, I'm 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 doing very well. First marathon was last Monday. You took a little stroll. You ran from Castleton Bear to Chile, hundred miles in total. I, I firstly I'm a bit aghast that I'm even calling it a marathon because this is it's nearly four marathons that you're undertaking in one day.
12: Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose they'd be referred to as uh, ultra marathons. Ultra you know, marathons. Yeah. Okay.
2: Marathon. How did how did Monday go for you?
12: Monday went well. It was a good learning curve. I uh, got a lot of things and experiences that I know what to do and what not to do for the ones that are uh, coming up next. So, But it went smoothly. It went well, and it was uh, pretty much according to plan as I thought it would go.
2: How many hours?
12: I ran for 23 hours and 53 minutes.
2: With breaks?
12: No, there was no stopping. So what you do in ultra running... You will come back down to a walk at points while you take in food to allow time for digestion so the blood flow can operate towards your stomach to prevent any gastric issues and actually refuel you to carry on.
2: But you keep going for 20, so just under 24 hours?
12: Yeah, yeah, my aim is to get them done in under 24 hours.
2: And will you try now and improve on that time? Is that part of the plan as well? Or would you be happy enough if you do 23 hours and 53 minutes every on every run?
12: Well, look, I'm not a runner by nature in any way, shape or form. I only decided 16 weeks ago to undertake this challenge. So for me, uh, the main focus is getting it done in under 24 hours. That's I'm incredible.
2: It is, it is just incredible. Have you a backup team with you?
12: I have a crew of volunteers that have been giving their spare time to me to do as much as they can do. Now, obviously, they have their own lives, so, you know, things happen, and, you know, one good friend of mine who was meant to be there, he's unfortunately a diabetic, and he wasn't able to make it on Monday, and things like that happen, but I have a great crew of people, uh, and I'd actually like to take this opportunity to thank two people, um, Suzanne Gibbons and Stephen French, who crewed me from Castletown all the way to Chile. Well it, was a lot, it was a lot for them to undertake as well. And uh, they did a great job.
2: Well done. Now, what was the toughest part of of that almost 24 hours?
12: And The toughest part was to stay going mentally as well as physically. Uh, Alex O'Shea, the running fireman, he ran with me as well for, I think, 20 miles or so or more. Okay. And, uh, do you know, he laughed and he said... Uh, he said, you uh, your 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 boost. I said, I am yeah he said but the fact because you come up out of Anticole and you're climbing up out of here, he said, means you've got the, the mental fortitude to get it done and just just keep on doing it. So that's that's the hard part just keeping the, the distance between your two ears covered and once you can do that you can cover the rest of it.
2: And it is more the the mental than the physical side, isn't it? I mean you've been training for the last fifteen weeks, so I'm assuming physically you're fine.
12: Um, well, look, physically, I'd be a fit person, yes, but I guess the other side of it is ultra running and picking an ultra run. An ultra run is considered around the 50 miles, anything from 40 miles onwards, so 100 miles is the upper echelon of an ultra run. Um, most people would take quite a lot of time, 12, 18 months or more, to build up to doing one, so I guess what I've undertaken falls outside the parameters of normality from that point of view.
2: (laughs) But I'm really interested in the fact that you don't like running.
12: Uh, Correct, (laughs) yeah. My background is in uh, powerlifting and and strongman competitions. So for me, I picked something that was out of my comfort zone and a challenge so that I could actually raise the money for the charities. What I'd like to also mention is for people listening, I'm raising money for Down Syndrome Ireland, Enable Ireland, Special Olympics Ireland and co Action. So. Yeah, that,
2: yeah, that—that that is what this is all about. This isn't just exactly. about this isn't just about Keelan Harrington waking up one day saying, "Oh, I'm going to do a world record." What will I do a world record in? I'll run nine one hundred mile ultra marathons. This is about your brother Milo, uh, Marco. Marco, sorry, Marco. Yeah, Tell no. me about Marco. Uh,
12: Marco is my forty six year old brother uh, who has Down syndrome, and uh, you know he's received great support from these. Charities over the years, and he goes to co-action in Castletown there. And uh, I've been in CUH hospital on two occasions where he's had heart surgery. And a unique experience for me has been, I've been in the surgery theater while they performed this, because of his anxiety issues, though sedated, um, he would still have, uh, I suppose his anxiety would still come to the surface. So Dutch is the native language in my home house, and I'd be in there with the doctor speaking Dutch to him keeping him calm and helping with the procedure, by standing, but helping in my way. So that's why I chose the charities and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing.
2: And there's very few people can say that they've been inside in the surgery when they're inside in the operating theatre, when a close family member is having an operation like that. That's that's an incredible experience as well
12: very unique it's a unique (laughs) experience I'm sure to doctors and nurses it's an everyday occurrence but for me it was a very unique experience indeed
2: Okay Tom one of our listeners is is intrigued by what you've undertaken and he wonders what about toilet breaks I did think of that question actually as well Yeah
12: no um, so there's no toilet breaks Um, like my routine is I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning for my work and for training etc so my toilet routine is done by kind of 5 o'clock and then the running starts at 7 so any liquids taken in throughout that time is used up in sweating. So there's no physical toilet breaks necessary. Wow. No, if, there was, if there was a need for a toilet break, of course you could stop. You would, would be able
2: go. to. OK. Yeah. OK. Um, and the current record of eight, and that's why you're, you're heading for nine, is set by eight. David Goggins. Who? Tell me about David, David Goggins, who's a bit of an inspiration for you as well.
12: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so David Goggins is an American ultra runner um I suppose he's he's he'd, be, he'd have the title the toughest man on the planet or one of the greatest endurance athletes that have lived um he's a military background and He's an Navy he's,
2: SEAL, isn't it?
12: Correct. Yeah, yeah, he's the only member of the American armed forces to do uh, special forces training in all three aspects, the SEALs, the Army Rangers and the Air Force. Wow. Yeah. So um he has it's documented with him that he has run eight ultra marathons and eight consecutive weekends uh, that's one of the one of his many checklists things that he has done so that's where the that's where this has come from okay.
2: and if people google um David Goggins, he does some amazing inspirational speak talks Absolutely. doesn't he yeah great david yeah.
12: The, david's a david's a fantastic person he's got a great personality great character I, I, we have mutual friends. We haven't spoken yet, but... Uh, ah, because I was go
2: I was, I'd be interested to know, has he heard about your challenge?
12: Uh, look, I don't know as yet. Um, there's people working on that. Uh, if he if he would get to hear about it... It'd be great. Don't know what a positive impact he's made on this side of the planet, that'd be fantastic, okay. uh, as I'm sure that falls in line with what he's doing. And if he doesn't, sure, maybe he'll hear about it when it's done. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: would be great. How can people donate,
6: Keelan?
12: So... Everything with me can be followed online. Um, the easiest way is to go to my webpage, which is and My name is spelled K-E-A-L-A-N-S. So com, or on any of the social media platforms, if they look up uh, Going the Ultra Mile, and the donations can be made via I Donate or GoFundMe, whichever people prefer to
2: use. And going the ultra mile, and I'll get John Paul to put it up on our social media uh, site as well to put links to it for you, for you, which might make it easy as well uh, for people. Um, yeah, okay, and you've you've you would have you a different route for every Monday?
12: Okay, so that is something that's actually come into question in the last twenty four hours. So initially, that's what I had decided as a very naive person who knew nothing about ultra running
6: <laughs> yeah.
12: so what we have decided to do is make it a court based event and wrap all the miles of the wrong court and yeah. my reasoning for that is um, I mean I gave again taking the advice of Alex O'Shea the running fireman on board he said you put in a lot of tough slogs like 10-12 miles of uphills which uh, is not necessarily what's involved in ultra running and getting the distance covered. You know, yeah. you spend so much energy doing a twelve mile uphill, you'd cover your so to speak twenty five miles on a on, on a flatter ground. And I don't know the country. You
2: don't know the terrain better. where you would end exactly. up.
12: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and the the negative impact that that's had on my body is uh, quite drastic. So we're gonna. Make it a car based event, and um, we've got people working on planning up the routes. So they'll be updated in the next twenty four hours on the Brilliant. website.
2: Brilliant, and uh, so and follow and before. I know John Paul had had a chat with you. If if you wouldn't mind, if we can kind of hook up with you every week just to see how it's going, and maybe we can let people know where you're going to be the next Monday because it would be nice yeah. if people saw you along the route and you know two to the horn, yeah, whatever. I
12: mean, that, yeah, and those things go a long way. I mean, it sounds it, it seems very simple, but when you get a family of kids and their parents driving past and they're waving up the window and giving a beep. It's a nice little distraction yeah. when you're yeah. on mile 80 or you know things like
2: that. It is when, when the pain is starting to kick in and, and all of that. Listen it would be a great honour for us to, to hook up with you every week um, Keelan. In the meantime look after yourself. You've recovered from Monday now have you?
12: Well, I'm in the pro- as we speak, I'm sitting here in, uh, in Bantry. I'm at a back-on-track physical therapy in what we call air boots with my therapist, <laughs> Jason O'Sullivan. And uh, <laughs> what, what are I, air boots? So they're these compression-like boots that go from your feet all the way up to your hips and they pump air into uh, little chambers and pockets in a pattern-like manner that help uh, promote blood circulation around the body and aid the recovery process.
2: Okay, does it feel nice?
12: Oh, feels like heaven.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing, you poor thing. Listen, look, uh, and you're back out. All systems go for next Monday.
12: All systems go for next Monday. And okay. uh, again, could I just ask anybody listening if they feel they can contribute in any way, uh, it would be fantastic because, you know, we're a small team of people. If anybody wants to come on board in terms of doing videography or I don't know anything like that, people listening might spark an idea. Uh, I'd welcome all things like that. that. They can send me an email.
2: They're great. You're, you've you've got some great charities uh, selected. We'll talk again, uh, Keelans. In the meantime, look after yourself, and uh, thanks for joining us.
12: Yeah, and I appreciate
2: your time on this. Listen, uh, have a nice afternoon. Yeah, uh, you too. Bye bye. That is uh, uh, Keelan Harrington going the ultra mile. It is just incredible what he is undertaking for somebody who isn't a natural runner, who doesn't really like uh, running. And the charities enable Ireland, Down Syndrome Ireland, who we spoke with the Down Syndrome Centre yesterday. So that's kind of a nice tie-in uh, from yesterday. Special Olympics Ireland and the wonderful, wonderful co-action in West Cork where Marco, my apologies to get Marco's name wrong, uh, Keelan's brother, attends. Okay and as I say we promise we will catch up with him uh, every week. it would be nice to stay with him for the nine weeks and fingers crossed he will break and we'll get into the record books for breaking what is an incredible challenge. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And we will be back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock. And don't forget, we'll have another prize uh, to give away from the McCroom Food Festival all tomorrow at 10.
4: Get weekly news, event updates, and community information from across Cork with our regional reports on c103.ie. From Bantry to Buttevant to Hallow to Dunmanway and every area in between, we've got it covered. To listen, go to c103.ie and click Regional Reports or download the C103 app and click Podcasts. Regional Reports, only on C103.
8: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.